This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. To the highway, in a brand new day, gotta let it go. Gate for October 13th, 2020. We are members of the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. You can find us on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast feed or our own dedicated feed on all podcast platforms and applications. You can find us on Twitter at Open Voicegate. If you'd like to donate to the show, just click the link in the show notes. It'll take you to redcircle.com and you'll click the red button there and you can do a one-time or reoccurring donation. No obligation whatsoever, but it would be certainly appreciated. And thanks to all of our previous donors. I'm one of your hosts. It's your old pal, Iron Mike Spears. I'm joined, as always, by Case Low and Case. This is going to be a quick one this week. There's just We're going to have a really busy November of a lot of things going on here, but we only have one show to review, one show to preview. I think we should like take it easy this week. You know, We're going to enjoy this. We're going to have a nice leisurely show. How are you doing, bud? Well, yeah, I think... As time has shown us, I guess as history has shown us over the past six months or so, we are incapable of doing shows that are not 90 minutes on the dot. That is typically where our our (laughs) weekly review shows and our Dragon USA shows typically fall at exactly 90 minutes. I just can't imagine going that long this week with a uh, very average to below average Kyocho KBS Hall show to review and a Kobe Kobe Sambo Hall show. That has some highlights on it and then an infuriating main event. So we'll spend some time there. But uh, overall, you know, it's, I mean, it's too cold out. I don't like it's in the 50 degrees, but uh, that I'm doing fine. You know, I had uh, the aftermath of Hurricane Delta come through last weekend. And each time it like kicks the season a little bit off here, I was stunned that it's still like 80 degrees out here. Like it's 80 and humid still in South Carolina. I was out earlier today and I was like, it should not be 60 right now. It's October. It's insane. Yeah, Chicago had a nice little bump in like 70 degrees for a few days last week, but it's that was the last of it. It's officially cold here now, and I, you know, I, I'm desert people, Mike. I, I enjoy the dry heat. I enjoy the sweat, and uh, the, the layers don't do anything for me. I'm not a fan. I, I mean, it seems like that you're someone that should probably move to Slap City. It seems like that that's your scene. You can go off the grid. You can have whatever... Uh, art exhibits you want to do, and now you won't be bothered by GCW. Yes, exactly. So, so <laughs> completely went off there for a second. Uh, it's an interesting week in Dragon Gate. I feel like it did a more things looking forward into November than it did for what's going to be happening next week. We now know all four title matches 
for Gated Destiny. The cards almost completely come together now I'm looking at that. And a lot of that came out of the show in Kyoto this weekend. It was on the 11th. Attendance was up. It was 255 versus the last time they were there was in August. I was surprised it's been that long since I've been in, in Kyoto. And just, you, you know, you kind of alluded to it earlier, but I feel like that this show, it was a good place setting show. We got to see the in-ring debut of Dia and Inferno, but for the most part, it was just solid to okay stuff. Yeah, it is. It's the, the build to Gate of Destiny is there because Gate of Destiny, from what has been announced now, is I feel like it's a Kobe World level card, and it happens two weeks before Kobe World. So I think we're going to get some more meandering televised shows going forward, at least until we hit the beginning of November, and then what should be an insane month that follows. But this Kyoto show happened. Uh, I've got a lot of thoughts on Dia Inferno. And other than that, I don't have a ton of thoughts elsewhere on the card. Yeah, so let's just get into this. Uh, starting off, there was changes on the day of the show. Kazuma Sakamoto had a fever, so they pulled him from the show. have not seen anything where he said like it was anything COVID-related. It just seemed like he was under the weather. Did you see anything from uh, out of Kazuma or Dragon Gate about his health coming out of it? I certainly have not seen any updates from Dragon Gate as I quickly scroll through his Twitter. I am not seeing any updates other than him retweeting uh, the future Dragon Gate show. So it looks like a precautionary measure measure that was taken. It is appreciated, but I have not seen any uh, health updates, positive or negative since. Yeah, it just seems like that he just kind of was pulled just because he tested hot. I mean, it just was a fever and that's how Dragon Gate's operating. Like, his, his one response to there was he was experiencing a slight fever as precaution will not com- compete today in Kyoto. His response was the, I don't even know how to describe it. He basically did a thing where it was looking like that he was like bowing down with like text. It was like M open bracket underscore underscore close bracket M was his response about this. But, you know. <laughs> I'm not well versed in the AOL chat room era of the internet. That seems like something that probably belongs uh, more so in there than on the on the Twitter homepage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the card was changed up, and he was pulled. That moved uh, that moved Diamante out of a singles match that he was going to have with Jimmy Kagator was plugged in there. Diamante was then moved to the semi main event. The opener was a six man tag. The uh, Toriyaman Generation team of Masato Yoshino, Susumi Okosuka, and Suji Kondo versus the unaffiliated team of the Open the Twin Gate champion, Jason Lee, Yosuke San Maria, and Hoho Lun. Uh, Kondo over Lun in 13 minutes, 18 seconds with a King Kong Lariat. A lot of Kondo and Maria in this match. An interesting choice when I think there were uh, perhaps more talented people in there. Could have used a lot of Kondo versus Lee. I think that would have been fun. Even Yokosuka versus Maria is a nice combination, but we got a lot of Kondo-Maria, which is perhaps the least interesting pair you could get here. Yep, it was just shenanigans with Maria. Uh, Yoshino basically had the night off. Good for him. And uh, it was something that it was like mainly Maria in this match. It was a nice, easy day for Yoshino, Yokosuka, Lee, and Lun. Lun did get in towards the end and then finally things picked up there was a deep mid there was a deep schoolboy that they got that lun got right into the finish before he got absolutely murdered with the king kong lariat two and a half stars it was not a bad match it just was a shenanigan opener which was i mean this is sometimes we get with yosuke san maria and it's not the kind of maria that i like so it's just like okay this is happening 
I'm glad that Yoshino's taking it easy. Those were my big takeaways. Well, and Jason Lee's a champion now. Jason Lee deserves yeah. a night off. He's a hardworking man. Okay, he's got gold around his waist. He can take a night off if he's opening in Kyoto. Good for him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then when you also, like, look at, uh, like, Yokosuka, you would think there would be maybe a little bit of build-up towards that uh, that title match at Gate of Destiny. No, that happened in, later on in the show. It just was there. It just was there. That led us to the singles match on the show. Kagatora versus Jimmy. Kagatora won with the Gura Makakari with an 11 minutes and 18 seconds over Jimmy. And it was nice seeing Jimmy and them do stuff. The one thing that's worth saying, this Kyoto crowd kind of sat on their hands a lot during the show. Because I thought that the ring work on a lot of the stuff was really was really at a high level, but the crowd was just dead. Yeah, this is one of those matches that if it happens in Osaka number two, or even from what we've seen from Kobe Samba Hall lately, I think we'd both be a little bit higher on this match because it's really nice to see Jimmy being booked on these shows and improving the way that he is. I thought individually this was a terrific performance from Jimmy. And what, what was the original booking here? Diamante versus Jimmy? Right. Yeah, I'd like to see that at some point because I'm sure... Uh, Diamante has, uh, well, he'll take like a monkey flip to the floor or something, some ridiculous <laughs> lucha bump that he's got stored up for Jimmy. But Kagator and Jimmy work well together. This was a, a, a nice little three-star match, appropriate for what it was on the card, worked well given the substitution later on in the day. I, I like this a lot. Now, Jimmy is really improving, and it's nice to see. Yeah, like, th- this was really something that Jimmy got to show off his improvement. I mean, he still has like insane flying skills with that and he's the one guy who hasn't really cut from everyone else who decided just to gain a lot of weight during uh during quarantine i still don't know the full story about why uh, ben k decided to gain 30 pounds and lose even more of it it just seems like he's bored but uh it's something where jimmy like we're getting to see like this is probably the most we've seen of jimmy by himself in the ring and i came away really impressed by him the one thing that, like, it was the thing I like to see him work on is some of the strikes, especially against someone like Hakatora, who's known for, like, the slaps that get a good noise out of it, it didn't necessarily, like, add up. But I felt like that this, getting 11 minutes to see Jimmy, Jimmy's making a step forward, and I would hope to see more of him up and down the cards. What about the class of 2020? They are awfully impressive, uh, and they were in match three. Yes, match three was the class of 2020 offer match. This had UT teaming up with Takedo Kamei, Kame, the shortest team on the roster. I think that's fair to say. It has then, to be. I can't imagine. I can't. <laughs> I don't want to see a shorter team than that. Yeah, yeah. And it's, I mean, combined, they are probably a combined 10 foot, 6 inches. If, you, if they sort of, <laughs> if you had one of them staying on the, the other's shoulders. However, the other team does have a long boy in it, in Madoka Kakuta and Kento Kabune. Kento Kabune scored a pin on UT with his version of the straight jacket suplex hold in 14 minutes and 23 seconds, the second longest match on this show. Yeah, they got a lot of time here. I thought it was it was not the most impressive match we've seen from the class of 2020. They've had better matches. They've had higher profile matches. But we now see them assimilating into the mid card of Drangate, where it doesn't feel insane to see a match entirely carried by the rookies and then UT, who was reasonably and realistically the lowest-ranking roster member there is of someone on the main roster. So for them to get this much time, I think it's a huge seal of approval. Yeah, yeah, and UT worked well here, but this really was the story of Kame Kabune 
and Kakuta. And really, it was like interesting stuff where it started off with UT and Kabune just trying to power each other around, just like muscling each other. And of course, Kabune, the bigger guy, was able to get the advantage out of there. And then Kakuta rocked Kamea a lot and it was really effective stuff. Like, Kakuta's starting to feel himself. We're starting to get a sense out of it. Last week, we you did the uh, appropriate attack. Maybe he is someone that you put some muscle on and he's going to be like a power junior like Shingo Takagi. And you, you, you kind of get to see a little bit of that. Maybe, I, I, I don't know his fluency. I don't know if he's a podcast guy. Maybe he was like, yeah, you know what? I listen to Case and Mike. He seems like <laughs> I, I, I could be a Shingo Takagi guy because I felt like we saw some of that out of him on the show. There's a moment where Kakuta gets a hot tag and UT's in the ring and his first instinct, Kakuta's, is to attempt a bicycle kick. It was actually on Takedo Kamai, and Kamai ducked out of the way. But for him to come out of the stable like an angry, pissed-off horse, like a stallion, and go for that bicycle kick on what might have been his first move of the match, I yeah. really, really liked it. <laughs> Just being like, well, I'm tagged in now, now I'm going to kick people's faces off. <laughs> it was really 0-60. to 60. It was nice to see. I, I like that, though, because he, was, cause he is the big X Factor we had for the first few months of his career. Now he's just like a guy who's gonna come in here and take off heads, and I like that a whole lot. Uh, that this was a match where like Kamei's, I feel like his ring style is coming together a little bit quicker than the other two's because like he had like this awesome evade out of a crab hold. Like it looked like there was a moment where Kabune was going to put him in a Boston crowd. Instead, he like did like a flip out of like a mini uh, to Harris or Rana into a penning hold, and I thought that, that was really rad. And just the idea that. Takedo Kamei's character is that he is smaller, but he probably is more awareness of what can work in a wrestling ring to his advantage than either of the other two. I think that's that's a very fair assessment. I do I I I, I do not disagree with that. I'll hit you with the double negative there. I think that's an astute okay. point. And then the finish, we got to see. We already see that they were using the uh, discus lariat as the big move for Kakuta going forward. Now we get to see a. a, a Straight jacket German out of Kabune. I thought that was really solid one. Shout out to Akira Tozawa there in a way. And I thought that, that it's an appropriate finishing hold for him. And I thought that that was a pretty rad way to end a match that sadly the crowd was not into a whole lot of stuff until later on in the show. But I still went three and a quarter stars on this. I thought that this was a solid match. And it's nice to see the class of 2020 get a lot of time and work well together and getting plugged in with uh, main roster members. I'm right there with you. Same exact rating. All right, and then we had match four. This was a Torimon versus Dragon Gate tag team match. Ultimo Dragon and Ginky Horiguchi versus Benkei and Kota Minora. And we thought that this might be a thing where we, we thought that uh, Benkei was going to eat a backslide, but we should have gone to the simple thing of, oh, wait, they're building up a Twin Gate match as Ginky Horiguchi got the backslide from heaven on Kota Minora in 12 minutes and 33 seconds. And, you know, I thought that this was a that this was like good stuff and then seeing the chemistry between Ginky and Minora has further escalated my excitement for their upcoming Twin Gate match. That's exactly it. I I really liked this. I was surprised, even though it's the backslide, so it doesn't hurt Minora at all. I was really surprised to see Minora take the pin, especially because moments before he was pinned, he and Horiguchi were going through uh some sort of grappling sequence. Horiguchi attempts a backslide from heaven. Minora rolled through and just hit him with a straight forearm shot that looked like it knocked Horiguchi out cold. And I'm sitting on my couch with my computer, like yelling, pin him, pin him. Like, oh my God, if this is the finish, this is the best finish the company's ever done. And then from there, Minora went to the gang and it was countered once again into the backslide from heaven. 
really strong match. I thought Ben K and Ultimo are, are a really fun pairing in the limited interaction they had here. And you're exactly right. Horiguchi and Minora have really good chemistry. And I'm really excited to see big match Horiguchi make the return at Gate of Destiny. Yeah, and, and like Benke and Ultimo had like this chemistry where Benke was just like muscling his way out of the lucha holes. He was like, yeah. "No, I'm not doing this." It was no, great. Uh, it was great. Yeah, and it's something that like it just was really solid stuff. And after the match, Ginky Horiguchi celebrated, kind of when kind of went Mado- He kind of went over to Minoru and said, "Ha, I won. Now you felt the backslide. Now we'll see you again in, in Osaka." And another like like this is a show that. Nothing was bad, but everything was generally okay to good. And this was another like three and a quarter star match. I thought that this was solid stuff. I went three and a half on this. I, I liked it quite a bit. You know what? I I, I could see that. I, I could see like especially with Kakuta clocking Ginky, that would it be like an instant quarter star for each. But that's each literally what it was. As soon as Benora <laughs> connected with that forum, I was like, oh my god, this uh, he's gonna he just knocked him out. Like I was I was so into that like. Uh, flash strike finish. It ended up not coming to fruition, but that spot alone made this match a little bit better. I like to imagine that maybe KZ has a strike clinic with Torimon Generation. You know, like where he's like, all right, here's how I do my elbow smash. Here's how I do my uppercut. Let me see what you have. And the idea that Kota Minora has like the forearm from God would be a, such a fun thing that like he suddenly just gets flash pins by popping pe- people in the jaw. I think that would be a lot of fun to go. And, and then, of course, you also have Keisuke Akuda. I mean, former MMA guy. The, I feel like that the, they should just spend the rest of the year just knocking people out, and it would be a blast. I need to ask someone if KZ is leading classes in the dojo now. I, I don't know about that. I'm very curious to see. I mean, with what we've said about the Bantam style, as we've kind of dubbed it, you have to cons- think that po- that's a possibility. Because it does feel like that people who've come up over the last few years have really taken after a style that is very similar to KZ, at least how KZ's had his big matches. So I wonder, I I would not be surprised if he's not leading a day or two. And maybe there there still is the uh, ring work movement classes done by Dragon Kid. You know, he's going to break dance in the ring and you're going to learn how like to control your body with that. So I, I have heard about those classes. Have you heard about DK's classes? Yeah, there's. I, I mean, for those that don't know, the Dragon Gate Dojo typically works with one or two wrestlers leading classes per day. I know Yoshino does a lot of cardio. Dragon Kid, just again, he controls and contorts his body in various ways, and the rest of the roster has to try to do what he does. And then it's sort of a, a filtering cast through there. And again, I'm just not... I'm never sure who is exactly teaching what at what time, but I would be interested to know that, you know, I think KZ is experienced enough now to to be in the dojo. So I will try to come up with an update on that because I'm very curious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, the worst cardio guy there was Tozawa. Tozawa would have them run 10Ks. (laughs) There's there are some stories of Shima in the dojo and Mm. him just like. Hey, today we're biking a marathon. Like we're doing twenty six point two miles today. Like let's let's get going. Of stuff equivalent to that. Of again, you show up for your wrestling school practice. Like whatever, what you know, it was a headlock class today. She was like, actually, we're biking through all of Japan. That is today's activity. <laughs> we're, we're gonna see all the sites in Greater Hyogo Prefecture. It's the greatest tourist uh, destination you could get is just biking through Japan with Shiba, uh, and also being at the dojo at the same time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I have to think KZ's involved at some portion, or at least there's some inspiration there. 
Uh, speak of inspiration, we got a really inspired semi-main event with Team Boku of Naruki Toei, Ryotsu Shimizu, and Punch Tomonaga versus BB Hulk, Takashi Yoshida, and Diamante. Originally, this was going to be Kazuma Sakamoto, as we talked about before. Punch In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking, ah, maybe I can pull a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card. But with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now, when I buy Slab Packs at Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. I was able to open an Arena Club slab pack, and and I'll be honest, it was a lot better than what you normally do. Say you go to a card show, and there's a random innocuous brown bag of cards, and yeah, you can open it, and look, it's going to be junk. You're, you, you know what I mean? Like, you know what you're probably going to get in those. Maybe you find that fun, and sometimes I do. Sometimes I like just opening up cards and saying, oh, hey, look at some random cards or whatever. But if you're really in this game to to find value and find particular cards, it sucks to have to buy these mystery packs, and it ends up being, you know, almost nothing. You know, nothing of value. Not with Arena Club. You can display, again, of all available cards, hit rates, grading. So you know that when you're opening up the slab pack, you are going to get something valuable. You are getting something good. And Arena Club, in addition to having those great slab packs we just talked about, is also a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, displaying, all that sort of stuff. But those Arena Club slab packs, man, they are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your polls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling, and you can have them officially graded by Arena Club as well. So again, setting these things off, it's going to be officially graded by Arena Club. And the Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent with full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. So whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform that you have to check out. So right now, I've got a special offer here for Voices of Wrestling Network listeners. You can get 10% off of your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Now, that's a crazy offer. That's 10% off a $400 slab pack. $40 off right there. 10% off your first purchase. No matter what that purchase is, 10% off. Off. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash VOWnet. Arenaclub.com slash VOWnet for 10% off your first purchase on Arena Club. And we thank them for sponsoring the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. Tomonaga got the win after he countered the cyber bomb in 11 minutes and 11 seconds. And I don't think RED gets what Osu is. Uh, look, Team Boku, it's got to fix itself quickly because I was not into this. I'm not into the Kobe Sambo Hall match. I, I, It's not what I want. This this has it, – it's the problem is that it's being treated like a main event act, and it is not that, and it is gravely concerning. Well, I mean, if Punch Shamanaga is getting a triangle gate shot with your new proto unit, then you have some questions to be made. Yeah, I thought this was the worst thing on the show. I was not not into this at all. I I liked that uh, Punch Tomonaga worked well with Dwayne Shimizu. Like Tomonaga has been better in the ring as of late, and that's like my biggest takeaway out of this match. 
Yeah, no, well, that's, I mean, we went over the, the list of the great Punch Tomonaga matches about a month ago now, and, and you're right, he's not, I, I don't know what it is, but he, he is better. Now, what better means to Punch Tomonaga is an interesting story, but it's, he's not embarrassing himself in the ring, but I just, uh, this was just not what I was looking for. Yeah, and after the match, uh, Team Boku challenged for the, the Triangle Gate at Gate Destiny. However, there's a stipulation with this match. It is going to be if Team Boku loses, then Ryotsu Shimizu character is discontinued. So this really might just be a transitional thing. We might be saying whatever Shimizu is going to be coming out of this. But we'll talk more about that Triangle Gate as we get closer to Gate of Destiny. And then we have our main event. It is the Dragon Gate versus RED 8-man tag team match. The Dragon Gate team, uh, all, like, this was a big face-off row to main event. This was Yamato, KZ, Keisuke Akuda, and Dragon Daya versus the people to be facing off at, or are paired off against at this point. And Ada, Kaido, Kaido Ishida, Kai, and Dia Inferno. Inferno got the win after uh, a mass grip in 16 minutes and 7 seconds. What do we think? I mean, I, I will say up top, the night before the show happened, and I was not watching this show live, I watched it Sunday morning. The night before the show happened, though, I was buzzing with excitement for Daya Inferno. Just could not believe that that this character that came across so well in Corkin was already going to wrestle. He wrestled on the house shows over the weekend and then wrestled here. What did you think of the debut? I'm conflicted. I think that the ring work is there. But I look at the mask, and that must be hell to wrestle in. You know, like being able to see out of it, being able to breathe in that mask. Like, it's more restraining than uh, Drago's mask ever was. It looks like it's more rubber on top of whomever's head it is. But I feel like the ring work was great. I just wonder about the mask because it's a great look. Don't get me wrong there. I just look at him like, that must suck to wrestle in, especially like a nearly 20-minute match. Do we think after what we've seen here and, and Diane Inferno was wrestling really more of a brawl-based style, there were no in-ring indicators as to who it might be with the exception of, I just don't think this person is tall enough to be Shun Skywalker. But do we think this is a character that is, we'll say, getting unmasked before the end of 2020? Or is this a long-term Darkness Dragon-like character? I just look at that mask and it makes me think that you can't, that after a while, whomever's in that mask is going to be like, I, we have to do something about this. Because doesn't that, Because I'm just like looking at that mask, I'm like, okay, you're wearing a full body suit, one. You're wearing a jacket over it, and you're wearing that mask. That can't be fun. That can't be fun at all. Uh, I'm still of the belief, and at least with the style-wise, and especially seeing them in the ring, I, unless they're having multiple people play Daya Inferno, different shows, I'm still of the belief that, it, that I, I am now pretty certain it's not Shin Skywalker. It's not Shin. But unless they're, like, changing people up there, I think it either has to be Yoshioka or someone to be debuted. And, you know, I love the idea of having an eternal rival, like how Dragon Kid had Darkness Dragon. But I just look at that mask. Like, am I off base thinking that that mask is just seems like a pain? No, I think from what we saw here, and I could end up being very wrong, and in 2022 we're still talking about Dia Inferno, but the impression that I got was maybe this is a a short-term character and we will still be getting an eventual reveal out of this because I just think the in-ring style, unless we see a drastic shift is one that to say it would be long in the tooth would be incorrect. Cause I, it's not something that I would get sick of, but I don't think it's conducive to the Dragon Gate house style. 
And so I think yeah. either that needs to change or something else needs to change. But the, the character, the way it was presented, I was super entertained by it. I really, really liked this match for uh, the the Dragon Daya versus Daya Inferno stuff and for the Brave Gate challenges that we'll just we'll talk about in just a second. But I do think the way the Inferno character exists right now, it either will have to change or it will quickly become extinct. Yeah, and especially like the finish was a master rip. It was after Inferno bit Daya. And like that's something like, okay, all right. And it was like brawling, like the most that that Inferno did, like actual wrestling wise, other than like brawling, was reversing moves and hitting a lung blower. Like I, I like took notes of like what just see what it is. I'm so fascinated by the idea that this character exists. And you do think like that that this is either a step along the way or going to be a short term short term thing. That all being said, the crowd was really into it, and we got dia calls. Like yeah. the crowd likes this, so like it's not like I'm not like saying I don't know how long this has a lifespan for. That's not me saying that I dislike it. I'm just wanting like logistically, like I because I think that it's something that I still believe that Dragon Dia needs a rival. And if it's going to be something that like whoever this is unmasked or they change the mask up. And now we have like that kind of thing leading to, I'm not even calling for like an absolute, absolute, blah, absolute amente run back, but I would like to see like this continue. It's just, I just wonder logistically and just how it is that some things probably are going to need to change for the long term. Yeah, I would I would completely agree with that. But the, the one thing that doesn't need to change, it looks like we're about to come to the end of it, but everything has been executed perfectly so far. The Akuda Ashida interactions. Mike, you have the floor. I mean, this is something where this was the best part of the match, and I know that we've been super high on this thing, but the match was going, and there was brawling, and they, you had all the good face-offs, and everyone, like, excelled in the face-off. But then when... Ishida and Akuda got into the ring of each other and just started forearming, elbowing, kicking, punching each other. That felt like it was like, okay, this is a big time feud. And this like makes me think that, all right, when we come to get destiny, we're going to see the conclusion of what was the feud of the year. And it just, each time I see this, they don't take nights off in this feud. They keep on like adding new twists and turns to it. And now we finally get the idea of like, we're coming to a head soon. But I want to rip your face off. And that was the thing that, like, as soon as they had, like, their face off, that's when this match really kicked a gear that this became the clear match of the night. Yeah, it's just their interactions here were unbelievable. It's really, and people will roll their eyes, whatever. I I, I know I'm right on this. I mean, the Akuda-Shida interactions feel like these big late 80s, early 90s, all Japan six-man tags, where, and it's not... It's not on the level of this, but the atmosphere and the tone is similar to Masawa and Jumbo tearing at each other in a six-man tag. I mean, it really has this almost biblical proportions feel to it, and I can't wait to see the eventual conclusion of this feud. And then when you look at how how Dragon System does like feuds and long-term feuds, this kind of is like set apart of that this is something that's been a constant focus for both of these guys for a full calendar year, like the the only Brave feud that had this long of a build was Ricochet and Pac. And this is different. This is actually feels like a blood feud and not proving a point on who's the better flyer. And the beautiful thing is, we'll get interactions between these two for the rest of their careers. It's not like the heat is going to go anywhere. I think this has a chance to, again, like, like a Ricochet versus Pac, and unfortunately, you know, Pac left so soon after 
that Bravegate feud ended, and really, maybe that's the wrong example, because they started teaming pretty much shortly after that feud ended, but this kind of has one of those deals where, you know, three years from now, we're going to have some nine-man tag at Cork and Hall, and Ashida and Akuda are going to get a spot to kick the, the ever-living crap out of each other, and it's going to get over off the back of what has happened this year in this feud. Yeah, it's a big groundwork thing. And then Ada and KZ, their face-offs were good, were good here as well, as well as Yamato versus Kai. Really makes you want to have a no-ropes match between Yamato and Kai. It does feel like that Yamato's tapping into something that we have not seen in a long time. I hope they do it. They're not going to do it at Gate of Destiny, obviously, but I really hope they do it at some point because it's been six years since we've seen a no-ropes match now. And I think yeah, if the there last was, one. was Yamato T-Hawk, right? Yes. If there was ever another one to do, it's Yamato versus Kai. Yeah, and I feel like that's something that you could run back this match at Kobe World with this. Uh, very true. And that's it for Kyoto. It, it's a good show. Like It's not like an exceptional show. It was very much a place-setting show that was really enjoyable. The main event and then the class of 2020 is the stuff to really seek out, but you know that it's a two-hour show, really. If you like trim things out there, you'll get through it pretty quickly. It'll be up on the network through the 17th. It was a good time. And watch the main event. Really good. Three and three quarters for me. Same, same. And then we only have one televised show that's going to be happening this week. They're going to be back in the friendly confines of Sambo Hall on the 17th. It's a 6 p.m. Japanese Standard Time start. That means it's 5 a.m. for the East Coast. That means it is 4 Central as well. And is UTC would be at 9 a.m. So 9 a.m. and then 10 a.m. in London. I have an app right now to make sure I get these times right, Case. Okay, so that's why I was stalling for was to make sure I got all the times right on that. And I like it. Time zone King Mike Spears. Time zone King Mike Spears. I mean, I'm in the worst time zone, but, you know, it is what it no, is. You can't win them all. Can't win them all. So interesting Kobe Sambo Hall show. Uh, I'm going to run down the card quick and then we can give our thoughts i feel like that there's some i know there's one match that you have a lot of takes on and i have an interesting thing proposed in the opener yeah i've got a lot of big picture thoughts on this card so go for it all right the opener is the dragon gate team of benke kota minor and jason lee versus the class of 2020 it's kamude kame and kakuda tag match and match two it is yosuke samaria and ut of dragon gate army Versus Misaki, Mochizuki, and Kinki Horiguchi. Um, Mochizuki was at the N1 finale show. And that's why he wasn't in Kyoto. Match 3. Yamato and Keisuke Akuda versus Kai and Kaido Ishida. So straight build for a gate of destiny right there. Uh, f- match 4 is a very interesting match. It is all Toriumon. As it's Ultimo Dragon, Masato Yoshino, and Susumi Akoska versus Dragon Kid Suji, Kondo, and Kakatora. A lot of history between these six guys. Match 5, semi-main event. Another preview match. KZ and Dragon Daya versus Ada and Daya Inferno. And your main event. It is a Triangle Gate preview match with the full team Boku of Naruki Doi, Ryo Saito, Ryotsu Shimizu, and Punch Tomonaga versus R.E.D. of BB Hulk, Takashi Yoshida, Diamante, and Hyo. Look, I hate that main event. I just, I don't like a thing about it. I don't think that match looks good on paper. And the fact that this Team Boku gimmick is headlining a show over KZ and Daya versus Eita and Inferno, I just don't get it. I, I mean, I did not think I was going to 
come on this show, you know, after August and complain about how little Drangate was doing with Ata. I thought, if anything, it would be the opposite, that he would be shoved down our throats in these main events. But for them to not headline this show with that, or even, or even Yamato and Akuda versus Kai and Ishida, I think it is utterly ridiculous. I hate that main event. I, I'm not looking forward to sitting down and watching it because I think it's a lot of guys that are going to bring out the worst instincts than others. And you've got your Dreamgate preview match right before with your two most interesting characters in, in Dragon Dia and Dia Inferno as well. It is an infuriating thing to look at. But outside of that main event, especially for a Kobe Sambo Hall show, Mike, I think this card looks terrific. Yeah, I mean, everything here outside of the main event, you cover that as well. My thoughts. I'm not as down on the main event, but when I see Yoshida, Diamante, and Hio in a main event, I figure, okay, my expectations are lowered. But y- you have that excellent preview match as a semi-main. It's going to be a match where you can't really hide Inferno, so we'll probably get more ideas about the wrestler and the character there. Match four with Ultimo, Yoshino, and Yokosuka versus... DK, Kondo, and Kagatora. That is that should be a whole lot of fun. I mean, you have you have Kondo and Kid teaming, and then you have Kagatora going up against his former tag team partner, Yoshino going against Kondo, Ultimo versus Dragon Kid. A lot of interesting like permutations that go on with that match. Match three, straight hype. I mean, that's that's a hype match right there. I mean, again, you're not gonna be able to hide each other in this match, so you're gonna get a bunch of good uh Kai versus Yamato, Ishida versus Okuda, Okuda versus Kai, Ishida versus Yamato. You can't go wrong there. Match two, that's just seeing who that is there. Don't have super high expectations, to be honest, but it should be fun. And then match one, they are doing something with the class of 2020, and I'm throwing it out there. I'm calling my shot. Do not be surprised if one of these three kids of the class of 2020 scores a monumentous upset gets a flash pen on Ben K. I'm putting my shot out there, Case. I think you're going to be right, too. Mike pitched this to me last night. I was annoyed that he thought of it instead of me. I would like to take credit for this take that will likely be accurate because it's either, you know, Menorah is going to pin one of these kids or just given the momentum that we've seen from them where Kakuta won in Fukuoka, uh, the, the whole generation won at Cork and Hall, we saw Kabune win at Kyoto this past week, and I think the kids are winning again. They're not pinning a champion, which means I think they're rolling up Ben K for a win. I think you're right on the money there. And I'll go one further. Turtle Coon's going to debut his flash pen. Ooh. That, you know, I look, when he debuted, I would have said Takedo Kamai will never pin Ben K in his entire career, but given sort of the, the upward trajectory we've seen from Kamai, and Ben K being cycled down. I'm not worried about his future at this moment, but he is just being cycled down the card for a little bit. I can't rule it out. It is an interesting time to be alive, but I cannot rule it out. Yeah, so really interesting uh, Kobe show. We'll see how right I am. I'm either incredibly right, somewhat right, or a big dummy. I'm totally okay with all three of those. And a lot to like sink your teeth into, even if the main event is probably going to be I mean, you can punch Shimanaga in a main event with Hio. I mean, as much as I love my small leopard son, I don't have any misguided aspirations about him and his career. 
maybe we get to see uh, Diamante take a crazy dive off of something Shimizu does. That's what I'm hoping for at that main event. It's match three. It's 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 match three fodder. It has no business being a main event. I'm really annoyed about that. It's it's Saito and Tamanaga in a main event. Forget the forget the RED side, which is a weak looking RED lineup. But even then, it's Saito and Tamanaga in a main event. I just, I just hate that because I really like the rest of this card. Even if that was match three, I wouldn't mind it. But in the main event, that's just unacceptable to me. No, no, I, I don't disagree with you there. Um, any other big thoughts you have before we get out of here? We said this is going to be a little bit of a tight one, and this is. Uh, we have all the uh, big matches that gated Destiny together. I don't know if they're going to be building up anything else there. And I mean, I think next week on the twenty fifth is Nara. And that's going to close out October. Again, this was a kind of a chill. This was kind of a chill week, a chill month. It's going to kick up very quickly. We have one last televised show before Gate of Destiny on the third. Yeah, no, it's a uh, it's a slow week. It's a, it's a necessary one because it is such a slow week. And Mike and I will do plenty of coverage of this match in a few weeks on this show. But Dragon Gate Network uploaded Gate of Destiny 2015. It is a sneaky best show ever contender. And the Dragon yes. System universe, I, I don't think it is their best show ever, but it is it is legitimately up there. And the main event is Shingo Takagi versus Masaki Mochizuki. It is a five-star match. It is uh, It finished number 11 in the Voices of Wrestling Match of the Year poll that year in a New Japan that still had Shinsuke Nakamura and AJ Styles and fell really only behind those matches and the Sasha Banks and Bayley matches from NXT. And... It is the, in my opinion, greatest match in Dragon Gate history. I rewatched it last night. I maintain that opinion. I have been reviewing essentially every show, uh, or at least every Cork and Hall and every big show for VoiceOfWrestling.com since 2015. I gave that match five stars, and I have not given five stars to a Dragon Gate match ever since. So we're on a five-year drought of perfection, but it will never top what Shingo and Mochizuki did. That is on the Dragon Gate Network again. We'll talk about it more in a few weeks, but that is out there since it's a slow week. Kyoto's really non-essential viewing. Go watch that match instead. And I'll say this. I'm revising something. It is a five-star match in my books, too. Yes. It is, it is the last Dragon, Dragon Gate five-star match that they've had. And I'm looking at cage match right now. We know this is not the case, but it is listed as a Wrestling Observer Newsletter five-star match. So, <sighs> Oh, Dave. Oh, we'll, Dave. We'll, We'll get a lot into this match, and we're going to do our recommendations because they're putting up all the gate destinies next week or the week after next. But we'll be talking about that soon. But I think that's going to do it, Case, unless you have anything else you want to hit on before we get out of here. Now let's get out of here. All right, so that's it for this week on Open the Voice Gate. We'll be back next week talking about Kobe Sambo Hall as we are going to have October soon coming to the close as we get into November 2020, the biggest month in Dragon System history. So you can follow us on Twitter at Open VoiceGate. You can follow Case on Twitter, uh, underscore in your case. And I'm at Fujiheya with two eyes, like Don Fuji. So for Case, I'm Mike, and we'll catch you next time on Open the VoiceGate. Take care. <laughs>